First, I'll be reading uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who troubled you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then the next one I'll be reading is Galatians 3, 1 through 3. O oh, foolish Galatians, who, have, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun the, sp having begun the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Although Ruth and I have recently moved down to the Tri-Cities, we still and always will consider LSC part of our church family. And while we were driving back from Arizona a couple weeks ago, we found a great way to travel Interstate 5. Listen to this wonderful series on Acts. It was just a great way. And equally as wonderful, we're hearing the God stories. If you think hearing from Lois, Melissa, Reuben, and others while you're here in the upper room, it is especially nice when you're driving down the highway. Just a great reminder of just how special this church family is. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Father, thank you that you promise us that, that where two or three are gathered, you are there in the midst. Lord, we welcome you amongst us today and celebrate the gift of life that you have placed upon each of us. We ask that you open our ears so that we may hear your voice. Open our minds so that we may receive your eternal wisdom. Open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. We ask all this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our, this, the Acts series in chapter 15. Ashtith, you now turn to your Bibles um, as we begin this message. In many ways, this chapter is a watershed chapter. Peter virtually disappears after this chapter, and after the church in Jerusalem fades into relative insignificance, Gentile evangelism virtually explodes. This is because the theological basis of Gentile evangelism has now been established. It is no wonder that from here on, Gentile converts are in the majority. However, before this happens, let's look at a very important story of inner betrayals of the gospel. In Acts 15, we learn of the clear emergence of what we can only call false Christianity. We can't fully understand Christianity or the church until we understand that there are always present in many Christian gatherings, both true and false Christianity. 
Unfortunately, false Christianity is believed by millions who think they, are, they have understood the truth and have rejected the false. Their minds are closed to the real truth. Here we are going to see the first emergence and the characteristics of that kind of false Christianity. Luke gives us the background in these opening two verses. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Now we have a greatly condensed account of events which occurred over a period of several months. It all began with the introduction of a very plausible and attractive heresy, which came disguised as Christianity. Luke says that certain Jewish brethren, who were Christians, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They came among the Gentile believers there, who had just come out of paganism, who had been idolaters, had been the devotees of immoral practices of pagan temples. These Gentiles had been hopeless in their outlook toward the future beyond this life, and were sunken in despair and darkness. But then God had saved them. They were now rejoicing in Christ. But these Jewish brethren came to them and said, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. This introduced an issue which split the church of Antioch wide open. They were really saying, in order to become a Christian, you first must become a Jew. Unless you become a Jew, you are a second-class citizen. Christian, if a Christian at all. They were challenging the gospel of the grace of God as Paul and Barnabas had been proclaiming it. So the first serious eternal strife within the church was over race and ritual, over the question of Jews versus Gentiles, over the circumcision as a sign of acceptance. We go on in verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth, but by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. It looked as though this issue had a great deal of scriptural support, and thus we have this great debate However, this is a very important point to understand. 
What they were doing was failing to allow God to reveal the new truth. They were basing their position on the assumption that all truth had been given already in that day. But the scriptures were not yet completed. God was revealing new truth. Remember that the Apostle Paul tells us very plainly that this whole truth about the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one body in Jesus Christ was never mentioned in the Old Testament. He says it was a mystery from previous generations. It was not known previously, but was revealed to the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament era. Now, this specific issue of circumcision has long ago passed away as a concern for us. But the principle behind it is very much with us today. The enemy has simply changed the players and the issues. He has substituted some new issues on the same old divisive platforms. Have you ever heard someone say, oh no, you don't want them. They're not our kind of people. This is such a hateful denial of the church and of the inclusion of all types and ages and backgrounds and races. Not only people, but also rituals often become bones of contention today. Substitute baptism for circumcision. There are many who think you cannot become a Christian unless you are baptized. Others say that no one should be admitted to a church gathering unless they have their shoes on. There are actually some churches that wouldn't allow Glenn or Dean to worship with them. Now, I've searched the scriptures and I can't find anything there that says you must wear shoes to church. Now, I don't think it's wise if we all decide to take our chairs off right now. So. The point is, these external issues and many more are the kind of things that Christians are splitting over today. And that was what was occurring in Antioch. It was a tough question to settle. This issue had great power over these new Christians. Likewise, we must be so careful when we talk to new believers. The New Testament abounds in warnings against false doctrine so that we might quickly recognize it and respond appropriately. Many times it enters the church through leaders who look like real Christians. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, which is sort of titled The Tree and a Fruit, and it's fruit, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravious, ravishing wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear a good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. And in 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 3, But false prophets arose also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow them. And because of them, they, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Their motives are never wholesome or benevolent. Rather, they have hearts controlled by wickedness. Whether pride, greed, or lust, invariably they see doctrine perversion as the path to more power, suiting their pride, more money, suiting their greed, 
or more perversion suiting their lust. Eventually, they draw people out of the church into various cults. Fortunately, the Judaizers who came to Antioch failed in splitting the church, but only because the church took effective action to blunt their influence. We now have the full truth, and such issues shouldn't be debated today. Unfortunately, there are times in our lives when we are faced with issues that are based on false teachings. We must be prepared to face these false teachings, or we can choose to turn our back and walk away. I want to share a couple of two things that sort of happened to me in my life. They're maybe not necessarily you would equate them with false teachings in the Bible, but they're there are things that I believe shaped my life that uh, kind of defined who I was um, and my willingness not to, to turn my back. In 1974, I just graduated from college with an accounting degree. I grew up in Arizona and had only been east of Colorado once in my life. I accepted a payroll position with a large construction company working on the Washington, D.C. metro system. So... When I arrived, I was a fish out of water. And one of the accountants working with me was Gail, a self-taught black lady. She would become my first mentor, great woman. She taught me so much beyond what I had learned in my textbooks. In addition to my job in Washington, D.C., once a month, I went to a small job in Maryland. There were two guys working on this job, and every month they would take me to the country club for lunch. And I thought, this is so cool. I get to go to a country club and everything. Then. So every month. Well, anyway, one month I need some extra work, and so I, took, I asked Gail to come with me. It was getting near lunchtime, and I asked the guys when we were heading to lunch. Well, pretty soon after that, I got called into the project manager's office, and he informed me. He says, Gail can't come to the country club with us. I said, what? No, she's not welcome there. I said, well, where is she supposed to eat? And he literally looked me straight in the eye and said, there is a cafe on the other side of the railroad tracks. I couldn't believe it. Well, as Gail and I were sitting down to have lunch at the cafe beyond the railroad tracks, she said to me, you shouldn't be here with me. And I said, oh, yes, I should. And I was never asked back to that job. Um, and it was, a, to this day, one of the nicest lunches I've ever had. 1974, 40 miles from our nation's capital, and some, for a better term, some modern-day Pharisees had decided, if you're black and or a woman, you're not welcome at our country club. Earlier in Acts, Peter said, because God gave the Holy Spirit to them, meaning the Gentiles, just as he did the Jews, so God made no distinction between believing Jews and Gentiles. Between believing. And God makes no distinction between the color of your skin or whether you are male or female. All are accepted by faith. It saddens me that we are still dealing with these issues today. In the book of Act, in, in his book on Acts, R.C. Sproul says, those who insisted on circumcision for those Gentile converts were patently repudiating the work of Jesus, which is why Paul was so upset. The Judaizers were saying the atonement of Jesus was not good enough, 
something the first century church could not tolerate. The issue wasn't simply about who could be included in the household of faith. Yes, that was in dispute, but the Pharisees wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised for the purpose of salvation, which indicated that they had completely misunderstood the gospel. Millions do the same in our today. They trust their own behavior, their own works, and their goodness to get them into heaven. Now, my next example happens in 1978 when I began working in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you can put the next chart or the next chart up. There should be a map of there might be a map up there of Saudi Arabia. I wanted to give you a little bit of a idea where I was. Is there a map up there? Ah, okay. There it is. Yeah, well, anyway, I was one of the first 35 people that worked on, uh, if you can see up here, King College Military City. Um, yeah, I, literally, there were 35 of us out in the middle of the desert. And uh, eventually, there would be 10,000 people working on that job. And it, King College Military City was where we staged the first Gulf War. Any of you might have been in the military back then. Well, while I was, after being there for a few weeks, I was sent down to Dahran. It's Daman there, um, to do some emergency purchasing for the grand opening or the ribbon cutting. Well, while I was down there, uh, the first 35 or the first workers uh, were came in, and these were uh, 36 Turkish men from Turkey who had been traveling for 36 hours, and they were dead tired. Now, our offices were located in a Corps of Engineer building that had a number of hotel rooms. These men arrived around 2 in the afternoon, and since it was an eight-hour drive to the job site, I decided I would put them up for the night and have them leave first thing in the morning. No sooner did I get them all situated when someone came up to me and said, you can't have them sleep here. I said, why not? They're tired. All these rooms are empty. No, you don't understand. These men are third country nationals. What does that mean? Well, since they're from a TCN nation, they, they aren't welcome here. On the definition of a TCN or third country national, or just those personnel from a separate nationality to both the contracting government or the area of operations. Quite a leap to say they can't stay in this hotel. So at 5 p.m., I had rented a couple of school buses couple of Saudi drivers, and for any of you who have driven in the uh, Middle East, um, getting, by, getting in a vehicle with a Saudi driver um, is a little scary. <laughs> so I loaded these men up 5 p.m. for an eight-hour trip, and since I was the only person that had been to the job site, I got elected to go with them. Let's look at the map again. We took off down here in Dahran, heading up, and if you can see where the fork is, that first fork you take, and then you head up there. Well, of course, I missed the fork. I missed the turnoff. So when I, got to see, when I saw a sign that said Kuwait five kilometers, <laughs> I knew I had missed the turnoff. When we stopped, and these men found out how far off we were. And I mean, literally, they're in the sand with these sides going, we're here, go here, off a button, you can call it a night guard. A couple of men started walking towards me, and I thought I had met my fate in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia. They just politely said, get in the back of the bus and be quiet. 
Anyway, 8 o'clock in the morning, we arrived, finally, at King College Military City, 15 hours later. I've never been so happy and relieved in my life. Now, over the two years I was there, I would often see these men. We always had good things to say to each other. They knew it wasn't my choice to put them on that bus. And I believe they appreciated that I was willing to get in that bus with them. Once again, some modern-day Pharisees decided if you were from a third-world country, you are not welcome to stay at our hotel. And I still get sick when I think about that day. Again, R.C. Sproul comes to the rescue. Throughout our study of the book of Acts, we have seen that those in the first century church wanted to know Gentiles, Samaritans, and God-fearing Greeks fit into the New Testament church. Were they to be second-class citizens? Was there to be a certain secondary rung like there had been in Israel? With an outer court for the Gentiles and an inner court reserved for Jews? As we have seen repeatedly, the overarching theme of the book of Acts is that there is no second-class citizenship in the New Testament community. Samaritan believers such as the Ephesians were all numbered among the people of God and had equal status in the New Testament church. There is no preference for the Jew or the Greek, the male or the female, what color your skin is or what country you're from. All people are on even ground at the foot of the cross. The Pharisees and the Jews were just like people today who resist change. We want to do things the way we have always done them. We want to put new wine in old wineskins. That was not going to work, however, for the Pharisees. They did not understand the meaning of circumcision. And I want to, the second part of my message today, I want you to turn, kind of go forward to verse 30. I'm going to skip over some of the uh, others. Um, and it says, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pomphylia and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by his brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, 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 strengthening the churches. We now see a rather strong dispute between Paul and Barnabas as to whether Mark should go to the next mission trip with them. 
It resulted in Paul and Barnabas going their separate ways. Now, rather than focus on this heated discussion, I want to focus more on kind of a term I hope many of you heard is called tough love or spiritual gifts. Tough love is a love or a concern that is expressed in a strict way, especially to make someone behave with a little more responsibility. Now, Paul is back in uh, 1313. Now, Paul and his companions set, fail, set sail from Paphilus and came to Perga on Pomphylia. And John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. The major reason Paul didn't want Mark to go with them was because he had previously left them. Paul didn't believe Mark was cut out to be an evangelist. Paul basically fired Mark. Tough love. Experiencing a job love can be, can be devastating because of the psychological wounds that can come as a result. There are numerous reasons why people lose their jobs. Political reasons, loss feels threatened, bad management, budget cuts. All these cases seem unjust. However, the primary reason people lose their jobs is because the tasks they are assigned do not match their gifts. Unfortunately, we are then deemed incompetent. There are lots of things I cannot do. Does that mean I am incompetent? No. It just means I haven't found a job in which my responsibilities meet my areas of abilities. If we lose our job, it may very well indicate that God is telling us you are in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. This is what Paul was trying to tell Mark. Now, Barnabas was most likely blind to this because he and Mark were blood relatives. And as bad as these two men were behaving, God was in control. When we let bitterness, hostility, hatred cloud our judgment, we are taking God out of the question, out of the equation. What was the great result of Paul's tough love here? Well, instead of one missionary trip, there are now two missionary trips. Mark did travel for a while with Barnabas, but eventually he went home unemployed. And what did he do? He wrote a book, The Gospel of Mark. Ahead of everything, Paul put his faithfulness to God. Tough love. Two mission trips, the gospel of Mark. Each of us has spiritual gifts that God wants to use to further his mission. Wherever possible, we want to match our work and our tasks with the best of our abilities and gifts. I believe it is extremely important that we try and know what our spiritual gifts are. And to do that, we are going to have to stretch ourselves. Test the waters to understand how we can best serve God. Now, as much as I feel blessed and appreciated, you allowing me to be part of this sermon series. Preaching is not where I can best serve God. My sister teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. No one has watched and appreciated my spiritual growth more than she has. And I'm sure she's pleased that I'm willing to stand up here and express my love for the Lord. However, if I called her and said, I think I should start preaching... She's going to dish me out some tough love and tell me, no, God has something else for you to do. Does this mean I'm a failure? No, it only means I can be more productive for the kingdom of God in other ways. We must at times stretch ourselves to serve God, but be careful not to think too highly of ourselves. 
R.C. Sproul again states, although the Bible tells us what the apostles did in various circumstances, this does not mean the apostles are perfect models for our behavior. The Bible, not the apostles themselves, is infallible. In the other hand, we cannot help but look at the apostle Paul as the number one model of Christian virtue, apart from Christ himself in the New Testament. I think it would be wrong to convict the Apostle Paul here for having a hard heart of being insensitive, unloving, or uncaring because he loved the mission of Christ. Paul did not feel threatened by John Mark. Rather, John Mark's earlier behavior, if replicated in the future, would have placed the mission in jeopardy. And Paul would not have that. Paul was listening to God. So what can we take away from this message today? A couple things. First, I quote from Tim Challey's true doctrine, the content, originates with God, the origin, is grounded in the Bible, the authority, and agrees with the whole scripture of, the whole of scripture, that's consistency, because such doctrine is sound, it's the quality, it is healthy, that's our benefit, and profitable, the value for us. And we are responsible for holding it. That is our responsibility. False doctrine originates with man, is not grounded in the Bible, and contradicts portions of the scripture. Because such doctrine is unsound, it is unhealthy and unprofitable for us, and we are responsible for rejecting it. We deal with false teachings through, through discernment. But what is discernment? It is the ability to make discriminating judgments to distinguish between and recognize the moral implications of different situations and courses of actions. It includes the ability to weigh up and assess the moral and spiritual status of individuals, groups, and even movements. A remarkable example of such discernment is described in John 2, verses 24 through 25. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This discernment, this discernment involved our Lord's knowledge of God's word and his observation of God's ways with men. Doubtless his discernment grew as he experienced conflict with and victory over temptation. And as he assessed every situation in the light of God's word, Jesus' discernment penetrated to the deepest reaches of the heart. We as Christians are called to develop similar discernment. For the only worthwhile discernment we possess is that which we receive in the union of Christ by the Spirit through God's Word. Secondly, tough love and spiritual gifts. As I look out into this room, I see so many ways in which many of you are using your spiritual gifts. We have folks leading our worship working with our missionaries, our mercy team, Kidsville, Kid Rock, Young Life, Greeting, Making Coffee, ESL, Shalan Hope, Habitat for Humanity, on and on and on. We are a vital part of this community. We can make a difference using our spiritual gifts. Now, most of us are not going to be like Paul or Lois or Reuben where evangelizing is their spiritual gift. What is important that each of us find out what our spiritual gifts are. This is where trial and error comes in. God wants us to serve him and does not want us to sit on the fence. 
you may find yourself speaking to or working within a hostile environment. That's okay, because you know you are speaking and living the truth. I didn't change the minds of those people who wouldn't let Gail go to the country club or allow those Turkish men to sleep in that hotel. However, they knew how I felt about those injustices. We have to wear our Christianity on our sleeves. And yes, there will be times, because we are a loving church family, that we are going to have to use some tough love to help guide each other in understanding what our spiritual gifts are. When this does happen, let's make sure we are doing it with grace and gentle discernment. Lastly, see, I'm not going to break that 52-minute record, folks, you'll be happy to know. (laughs) Lastly, Acts is such an incredible book, a journey where we see the footprints of the Holy Spirit through the footprints of the apostles. It is a historical sequel to the four Gospels. It forms the background and the setting for most of Paul's writings. It portrays the tensions, persecutions, frustrations, theological problems, and hopes confronting these early believers. Acts marks a transition from the work of God provincially among the Jews to the establishment of the universal church. These early believers had to work some tough rooms and rowdy crowds. They persevered and should present a stimulating challenge to every Christian today. The excitement, the faith, the joy, the commitment, and the obedience of those early saints is an example to all believers. Acts 15, as a result of the great debate over circumcision, the church comes to understand that the calling of the Gentiles to belief without adherence to the full scriptural law is the work of God. For this, we give great thanks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you we are a family in Christ Help us to share his love and legacy with everyone that we encounter. May we share Christ's abounding goodness upon our families and friends. May the Holy Spirit come and equip us, guide us, and inspire us in our daily lives. Thanks to Luke in writing the book of Acts in order that we can take the same journey that these early believers did. We ask all this in your precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. Do we... um, have some God stories to share today? If I don't, somebody's going to think I haven't been living for the Lord this That's week. That's right. That's right. All right, Tom, that was awesome. Thank you. Does my heart good when a man can shed tears of joy for the Lord? And you know what? My life is still going great. Just everything. Every day I get up, there's something new that God's got for me to do. And you know, I feel so humbled that he's allowing me to do this. My apartment is now called a mini upper room because <laughs> there's so much prayer going on there. It's just, I can't tell you how glad my heart is. God took me out of pain, losing Bill, and put me in this wonderful atmosphere. And my life is so filled with him, I can't praise him enough. So you guys want to pray, come on to the mini upper room, and we'll pray a lot up there. But just continue to pray for me because I am so amazed and how God is using my life now. And I love everyone and appreciate your prayers. Anybody else?
I would like to ask for prayer this morning for the Johnson family in East Olympia, Washington. This is our daughter-in-law's family. They run a business called Johnson Smokehouse and Sausage Company, started with the folks just starting it out over 40 years ago. And it's become a really wonderful business. And they send, they've sent stuff throughout the state. But last night, um, it burned to the ground. And um, I'm, I'm just devastated knowing what it means to the family. Uh, my prayer is that they would not blame God for this. Um, the parents, the dad was raised in the Catholic Church. The mom went sporadically to church. Um, they don't go to church now. Our kids, my son and his wife Jody, they go sporadically. But they've been warming to so much in the last year that I, it's just my heart's desire that they don't become bitter and angry. So that's my, that's my main concern, is that, those, that their hearts would be softened and they'd cling to the Lord and want him in their lives so that they can get through this. So um, anyway, um, that's my prayer, Johnson family, and they are in East Olympia. Thank you very much. Now this time, this prayer isn't for my wife or myself. <clears throat> uh, nine years ago, my brother passed away unexpectedly down in the Mojave Desert, Lancaster. He had a couple of friends, uh, Jerry and Stavette. They came to our rescue, and they've been friends ever since. Uh, Stavette has adopted me as a brother. I've adopted her as a daughter, as a, as, as a brother and sister. Uh, her husband now is going through the same thing this Karen's going through. They're not believers. I am praying somehow I can reach at least her to bring her into the fold. She needs a support, and she is just beside herself and not knowing where to go. So my prayer is for Stavette.